Welcome to another episode of the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Join us as we talk to the experts to explore the field of nutritional sciences and how our food choices impact our health and the environment. We sit down with Canadian doctors, dietitians, athletes, climate experts, and others to break down the evidence behind the whole food, plant-based diet, and discuss the practical steps we can take in the effort to shift towards a healthier lifestyle. My name is Stephanie Nishi, and today I am joined by Dr. Laura Kiervaroli to talk about her research in the field of plant-based nutrition, including a glimpse at an exciting new project, which aims to help make following a plant-based dietary pattern more accessible for the general public using technology, as well as her work with plant-based initiatives at the universities of Toronto and Guelph. Dr. Laura Chiaveroli is a clinical trialist and a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Toronto and St. Michael's Hospital. Laura's primary research interests over the past 15 years has been in the field of nutrition and cardiometabolic health, specifically in carbohydrate nutrition and obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. Alongside her mentor, Dr. David Jenkins, with whom she completed her master's and PhD, Laura gained vast experience conducting randomized controlled trials and working with dietary patterns, including the Portfolio Diet, which is a cholesterol-lowering plant-based diet, and a low-glycemic index diet, as well as on carbohydrates and sugars. Laura also has extensive experience in nutritional epidemiology, specifically in the conduct of systematic reviews and meta-analyses from her work with Dr. John Siebenpiper, who is her current mentor. In the past few years of her postdoctoral fellowship, Laura has expanded her experience in knowledge translation strategies, including patient and physician-facing resource development and web-based mobile app development. Laura also has a great interest in education and mentorship, as well as elucidating how important public health concerns regarding dietary patterns and cardiometabolic health interconnect with planetary health while highlighting the importance of equity, diversity, and inclusivity. Laura is also a member of the Plant-Based Canada team, and we are all currently working on organizing the upcoming virtual conference, which is on May 28th and 29th. The annual Plant-Based Canada conference provides evidence-based education by experts on plant-based nutrition for individual health, as well as highlighting the environmental and social concerns of our food system. Sign up for our newsletter on our website or visit our social media for information on ticket sales and updates. Now, let's begin our conversation with Dr. Laura Chiaveroli. Hi, Dr. Chiaveroli. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Plant-Based Canada podcast. How are you? Very good. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and um, thanks for the invitation to, uh, to chat today. Well, I'm really excited for individuals to get to know a little bit more about you because you are also a part of the Plant-Based Canada team. So it's really exciting to get to share the research and the work that you're doing. To start things off, based on your research in the field and educational experience, what does plant-based mean to you? Oh, wow. Um, So for me, being on a plant-based journey um, means supporting my present and future quality of life, as well as supporting the health of those around me. I also see it as a demonstration of compassion for the environment in which we live and the animals and all the life forms that we share it with. And then I think, uh, you know, we all kind of share 
a common value in life, right? We all uh, appreciate happiness and health and well-being. And I think plant ba- being plant-based is really just one big step in the right direction, giving us that edge or advantage to our well-being. Thanks for sharing that. I know that so many different people follow a plant-based lifestyle for many different reasons and how you responded. It seems to encompass that there's multiple different aspects that are important to you. And you mentioned the health of not only yourself, but that of others. And your research kind of falls into this. Can you tell us a little bit more about the research you're currently working on? I've heard that you and the team that you work with recently received a prestigious grant to conduct a large trial, a large study related to providing health advice via an app. Can you tell us more about this project? Sure. Thanks. Yes, it's it's very exciting. It was something that came with a lot of perseverance. It was about three years of of grant writing and and you know some rejections along the way before we were able to really um, be successful in in um, pitching and getting the uh, grant to do this study. So the the study really the the dietary intervention that we're looking at is the portfolio diet, which. Um, as part of the, the podcast series you have talked about before, uh, the uh, creator of the, the portfolio diet is um, the wonderful Dr. David Jenkins, which I believe is episode nine, I think, in the podcast, if anybody's interested in going and listening to, to that to get a bit more of a background on portfolio. But I guess just uh, quickly in a nutshell, the portfolio diet is a dietary pattern that's evidence-based for cholesterol lowering. It's been around for a few decades now. And basically, Dr. Jenkins had the idea of seeing what would happen if we combined four categories of food, which have been shown to lower cholesterol by uh, about five to 10% each. And these categories include nuts, soy protein, plant sterols, and viscous fiber foods like oats, barley, and psyllium. So those sticky fiber kind of foods. Um, so each of them had individually and still have health approved, uh, have approved health claims for cholesterol reduction. So what the team found was that there was actually an additive effect where when you consume all these foods together, um, you get a reduction of about 30% in your LDL cholesterol or the bad cholesterol. Um, And then they demonstrated in a randomized controlled trial that those who were given the portfolio diet had a reduction in LDL cholesterol, similar to those study participants who were given a statin or cholesterol lowering drug, which is so impactful when we think about the clinical relevance. Um, And then with a series of of future studies that uh, were done in the portfolio diet, demonstrating reductions in a variety of other cardiovascular risk factors, so beyond the LDL cholesterol, and then by by looking at um, all the studies, we've seen that there's actually a linear effect between adherence to a diet and the amount of LDL cholesterol reduction. And this is great news because it means even small diet changes can include, um, including some of the main foods in the portfolio from the portfolio diet can result in small, meaningful changes. And the more you follow it, the greater the reductions you're going to see. Um, So with all this impressive evidence, it's no surprise the portfolio diet is a recommended diet in clinical practice guidelines internationally, including the Canadian Cardiovascular Society, Diabetes Canada, Obesity Canada, and then in the American, European and UK guidelines as well. So this is where we kind of come to the present challenge that we had, um, which is how can we help to educate healthcare professionals on the portfolio diet to encourage its use since the physicians do cite that there's a lack of education, tools, and time to counsel on nutrition. And then this is paired with the challenge of how we can help support patients to follow a portfolio diet. 
So with this growing field that we're currently in with innovative uh, technology-based interventions, we created a web-based and mobile-based application of the Portfolio Diet, which we call the Portfolio Diet app. And then to test whether this app works in the real world, we decided to engage in the emerging field of using primary care networks. And the idea was to recruit through primary care networks, a thousand patients at high cardiovascular risk to test whether the Portfolio Diet app added to standard of care compared to standard of care alone uh, over one year results in um, adoption of the portfolio diet and that reduction in LDL cholesterol. So as I mentioned, after perseverance, uh, we did uh, successfully get awarded a CIHR uh, government grant to test our portfolio diet app in primary care. And so we're really excited because if the study does demonstrate that the portfolio diet app can deliver the anticipated reductions in the established lipid targets and cardiovascular risk while improving patient and provider experience and reducing healthcare costs, it will have major influence on the translation and implementation of clinical practice guidelines in primary care. And then as an added bonus, because we do plan to have the Portfolio Diet app be freely available through the Canadian Cardiovascular Society um, website uh, as a ready-to-use clinical tool for patients and busy providers in primary care, it will hopefully encourage the adoption of diet and lifestyle changes to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. So we're really excited to, st to start this study and engage with so many of the amazing experts we have across a variety of disciplines who uh, make up our team. That's fantastic. And it's great to hear that this study has received funding because it sounds like, or at least from my knowledge and experience with the app, even though it's not currently open to the public because it is being studied, it sounds like in the future, this has the potential to provide individuals with access right in their pocket to information, not only about how to follow and what is the portfolio diet, but also help with that adherence, which always seems to be one of the most challenging aspects with following a specific dietary pattern or being able to maintain certain habits, especially ones that we consider quote unquote healthy habits. Now, you mentioned that the portfolio diet is a part of guidelines. So how did that all come about? And even though it is a part of guidelines, it may not be something that perhaps listeners to this podcast are familiar, especially because we did speak with Dr. David Jenkins earlier in the year. But how does that information get to the public and, and what other dietary patterns are potentially in guidelines and how can people find out in more information about these? So um, the guidelines are like the, the cardiovascular diabetes, obesity guidelines, they're all are published out there to kind of help relay the most up-to-date evidence-based information on ways to reduce the risk, uh, so prevent or manage uh, the respective diseases. And I would think that they're mostly just read by uh, the healthcare professionals. So really, uh, your doctor would be the one that hopefully would be the one to relay that information to you if you wanted to know. Um, but I think that's where we come across with the, the challenges that, um, you know, physicians do say that, you know, they don't really have education on nutrition. Um, and, you know, they don't have a lot of time with the patient in, in a visit. Um, so or, or resources to help relay that information. So that's where we're, we're trying to build on that with um, the big study that we have going on so that, you know, if a patient were to come to their doctor and say, okay, my cholesterol is high, what do I do? Or my uh, cardiovascular risk is high. The doctor could 
hopefully easily um, just give them the URL for the app and the app would be able to take it from there to give them the information so that they can learn about the portfolio diet and give them a resource to help them track how well they're following it, give them encouraging nudges and and tips and recipes uh, along the way. So so that's where we're hoping to help bridge uh, that gap so that when you go to your, your doctor, they have something to give you. Um, there, the, the portfolio diet isn't the only dietary pattern in guidelines. Um, there are uh, multiple dietary patterns recommended in our clinical practice guidelines. And this is really actually encouraging to see as it means that there's a greater chance that patients will find one that aligns most with their cultural values and preferences. Um, so it gives them a greater chance of actually making a diet or lifestyle change um, to help reduce their risk. So in, in addition to the portfolio diet, other guidelines, dietary patterns in the guidelines include the vegetarian diet, the Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet. For those who may not know what the DASH diet is, it um, stands for the Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. And it's a diet which emphasizes intake of fruits and vegetables um, and lower sodium with the primary goal of blood pressure reduction. And then there's also the Nordic diet in the guidelines. So all these diets do have evidence to support the relationship with reductions in both cardiovascular and diabetes risk. And actually, our team um, has been part of helping to produce a lot of the evidence uh, recently, uh, the past, I guess, four years now, we've been publishing um, systematic reviews and meta-analyses, providing the most up-to-date evidence supporting the role of each of these individual dietary patterns in reducing cardiovascular and diabetes risk. And although each of these dietary patterns are effective in reducing the risk, each does have a specific target, which is inherent in their design. So in addition to considering patient values, um, maybe even integrating a target-based approach can be helpful to guide discussions between healthcare professionals and the patients when they're trying to figure out which dietary pattern might be one that they could try to adopt to uh, reduce their risk. So for example, if your patient specifically has very high blood pressure, it might be worth suggesting the DASH diet if they're open to trying one. And then just one last point is that all of these dietary patterns do have a commonality, uh, which is a plant-based focus. They each emphasize consumption of fruits and vegetables, pulses and legumes, nuts and seeds and whole grains, um, as well as minimizing the intake of red and processed meats and sweets and sugar-sweetened beverages. You brought up a really good point about how there's different dietary patterns to address different cultural or different situational aspects to help with the adherence. I have a question about that, but first, before we go into that topic, can you tell us a little bit more? I know you can't go into too much detail because the trial is still ongoing, but if individuals are interested in finding out more about the Portfolio Diet app and the trial, where can they go to find out more information or if they want to participate, if that's available? Yeah, so we we are still working on putting up the uh, study on clinicaltrials.gov. Um, so that's where uh, that's a, a publicly available database where all clinical trials should be registered, so that it's very open what your um, protocol is. So hopefully in the next month or so, we should have it up there. So if anybody is interested, they could go to clinicaltrials.gov and just search for portfolio diet, and you'd probably find it as one of the top hits. Um, So hopefully we'll have that released soon. We will be doing recruitment through the primary care network. So through physicians that are part of primary care networks in Toronto and the GTA, but because we, we will be having research ethics approval through a variety of hospitals and universities, it, it, it is possible that we probably may be able to entertain bringing on patients outside of the primary care networks. But still, this is is um, quite 
new as we're undertaking um, this. So reaching out to us through the clinicaltrials.gov is probably the best bet to uh, get in touch with us. Thanks so much for sharing that information. So I guess it's stay tuned and keep our eyes open and perhaps even ask our primary healthcare provider if they are aware of it or if they are participating. You mentioned about dietary values. And in addition to your work with the portfolio diet, I understand that you've also worked to gain a better understanding of dietary values, needs, and desires of university students. Can you share more about your work that you've done, for example, with the U of T food services. I understand that you are conducting some research and some survey work to get a better picture of what's actually going on and what are people's perceptions and desires or dietary values in this regard. Thanks. Yeah, it's a it kind of just been a, a little side project just out of, of interest because with the kind of the increase in the voices from our younger generation, especially with regards to the climate emergency we're facing, there's an increased interest in plant-based eating. So, um, you know, we wanted to understand the dietary values of the current student body at the University of Toronto and whether they feel the foods that are offered to them meet their needs. Um, so I reached out to the amazing team at U of T's Food Services, and together we developed a survey for information that uh, we were all interested in, in learning uh, from the student body, and then we circulated it to, to gather that data. Um, and when we got all the responses, we were pretty surprised, I think, to see that only about a quarter of the respondents indicated that they that their diet was omnivorous and the vast majority identified as um, some definition of being plant-based. Um, and then when it came to the question about why did they choose to be plant-based, there was nearly an equal selection of environmental reasons, health reasons, and, and for animal justice. Um, so our, our, our youth really are interested in a lot of these really important topics like the environment and, and health and animal welfare. And so when we asked them about if they felt that the options, the plant-based options, um, specifically being animal-free on campus, um, whether or not there were enough of them, they said that there were some, but very few, and they wanted to see more options. And when we gave kind of like a list of, are you looking for bean-based options or tofu or plant-based alternatives or veggie-based, they wanted everything. Um, they were kind of all equally given a, a yes response. So really what we learned was that there is a need, there is a, a, a desire from the student body to want to see more plant-based options and a variety of, of options out there. So it was it was a really encouraging uh, survey and and um, really nice to get that sense of of you know what students are looking for and the U of T service team is is just exceptional they've they've signed up with a forward food to increase the plant based menu options by at least twenty percent and if you haven't heard of of forward food it's a free program that was launched in two thousand seventeen supported by the Friends of the Humane Society International Canada and they help food service companies across the country succeed with plant based food goals teaching the chefs and helping to um, give recipe ideas and things like that. And then U of T is also looking to bring in more independent providers to offer plant-based options on campus. So um, with the work that we've been doing, um, there's, there's going to be some changes and we're looking forward to seeing new menu items this fall and a, a lot more options on campus. That's fantastic. And it's great to see so many collaborations going on, both with the University of Toronto Food Services, Food Forward, as well as researchers. Just going back to the beginning, how did this all get sparked or initiated? Because 
I feel like a decade ago, talking about plant-based options on campus may not have been part of the main conversation. Were you the one to bring this to them or did they come to you or was it both sides or all sides? How did that come about? I think with, with a lot of the discussions that we've been having kind of in the field uh, where, you know, we're, we're talking about how, you know, there's a, a climate emergency and we need to start tackling it in, in a lot of different ways. And one of the main ways is, is through dietary change. Um, so trying to see whether or not we can encourage a bit more plant-based eating or a lot more plant-based eating if possible, but baby steps are still steps. So trying to see how we can start shifting things. And really the, the first step is to see whether or not there is going to be uptake. So before a uh, university is going to change the way or, or any, any organization is going to change the, the menu options, they, they want to make sure that the end user is going to use it. With a lot of the talks that I'd been on in, in a lot of other, I guess, areas, and there was a thought with, with universities um, changing menu options, I just reached out to the U of T food service team and they were you know, open arms about wanting to meet and talk about things. And they were very much interested in um, doing the survey as much as I was. So it was a, a great collaboration. No, that's fantastic. And also fantastic to be able to get that information to show, okay, these are the demographics. These are the perceptions of people that are out there on campus. And what really surprised me about some of the findings was the low percentage of students that identified as aniferous and that there was a high percentage that were looking for more accessible plant-based options. Now, I know that this is becoming, individuals are becoming more knowledgeable about not only the health aspects, but the environmental, but that really stood out to me, especially because you can get such a diverse population at a university campus such as that in downtown Toronto. Yeah, yeah, we were we were uh, pleasant, I guess, pleasantly surprised that that uh, that um, you know, with with a lot of the increased awareness of you know sh- making some change to your your diet can be quite impactful. Um, we're seeing that already in in the responses uh, from the student body, and it seems like also in response to this want for more information or resources related to plant based lifestyle and nutrition. There's also the new plant-based nutrition certificate that's being offered by the College of Social and Applied Human Sciences at the University of Guelph. And I believe that you have a role in this as well. Now, I'll just give a little bit of background on what this program is, but I'd like to hear more about your contributions to this and how you became involved in this as well. So this program, to my understanding, and this is from the program's website, is that participants and students will investigate how to achieve the nutrients needed for optimum health and the management and prevention of disease while implementing a plant-based diet. And students will also learn about the history of plant-based diets and their impact on individuals and the planet. And it involves elective courses in the program, and it gives students or participants the opportunity to put their learnings into practice. So how is this done? Can you tell us more about this plant-based nutrition certificate program? I, I'm one moving part uh, of, of this very large uh, program. So um, my role is the um, course developer for the disease prevention and management course. So there are a, a series of courses that, that somebody could take. You can just take one if you wanted to, because it's meant to just be there, be courses out there for anybody of interest to take. And if you wanted to continue to take on the five mandatory ones and the three elective ones, you could get the certificate in the end. But the 
disease prevention and management one was a, was a lot of fun and a lot of work, but a lot of fun to, to put together. I, I was invited as, I guess, one of the people to to join this because, you know, just being part of a lot of discussions and groups when um, the University of Guelph kind of posted this, um, someone from kind of the network saw it and thought, well, let's see if there's a group of us who are, you know, experts in these in this field want to get together and kind of uh, approach the university to each take on a course so that we can make sure the kind of people that are most knowledgeable in the field are helping to provide the information in this course. Um, so it was a great opportunity to get involved. The, the course is is currently underway. It's it's a wonderful experience as I am getting to instruct this this first round um, of, of it and seeing uh, how engaged and diverse the students are. They're doing extremely well. They're learning a lot. They're they're really interested in, in just scooping up all this information. We had to get really creative in designing these courses because it's all online and asynchronous. So to prevent them from just being this kind of bland online text that you just read, we created a lot of interactive figures and activities, uh, discussion boards where we have different groups within um, the course. So um, there's a lot of discussion amongst the groups uh, and posting, responding to various topics that we pose um, each week. The staff at the university were just fantastic with helping to provide a lot of support um, for all the techie online stuff to kind of get these things working with uh, the information that we provide. One of my personal goals in the, the course that I got to develop was trying to empower the students to be able to seek information for themselves and be able to critically read and assess information. So beyond just providing you know, the most up-to-date research that's out there on plant-based diets and disease prevention and management, being able to teach them how do you go out and seek information for yourself? Because there's constantly new studies that are being published. There's also a lot of debates that are going on in the field and on social media, and, and people will come to you with lots of questions. So I wanted to hopefully be able to make them feel confident to be able to tackle new questions that maybe, you know, a study wasn't there in the course content for them to be able to pull from. So two of the main skills I, I hope I've imparted on them, uh, one of which is using a, a simple tool, the, the PCOTS framework to identify key components of a research study. So, so PCOTS stands for population, intervention, comparator, outcome, time, and study design or setting. So, you know, just having this acronym in your mind when you're reading a, a study or a paper um, will really help you to get a sense of what this study is looking at and who is the study generalizable to. So it can be really helpful when you compare and contrast studies, particularly when you've got studies with opposing results, and it can be useful um, in debates. And then the, the second skill was making sure they knew how to search a reliable database, such as PubMed, for research articles. So we had a, a nice a guest speaker, a librarian from the University of Guelph kind of teach them how to do a, a good search in a database uh, for a topic. And then in, in each of the week's discussion board kind of topics, they had to bring in a new study that they got from their own search. So it, it's a, also something that I hope has 
and the, the added benefit of over time as the course kind of continues, as new studies come out, hopefully the students as they're doing these searches as part of the, the activity each week will pull in that the new studies, the new data that's coming up and be able to discuss the latest stuff as opposed to what I was able to kind of get in January, February of 2022, as the study continues to unfold, hopefully we'll still be continuing to bring in the latest information for the students to be able to learn and discuss with uh, their peers and, and the instructor. That's fantastic. And I can share the link for the plant-based nutrition certificate, as well as some of the other studies that you've shared and talked about or the research that you've talked about in the show notes. Now, these two skills that you mentioned, educating and developing throughout this course, it sounds like it's not only applicable to just plant-based nutrition studies, but evaluating the evidence overall, because not only with plant-based evidence, but in general, in our day-to-day, it can be pretty difficult to sift through and assess, especially debated topics, like you mentioned, that there's controversial topics that are out there that come up in the news, and how do we assess what evidence we can trust or potentially move forward with. So I feel like those are very good reasons to take the course potentially or to think about as we look at the evidence that's out there. And I know that there's a couple of other places that you've mentioned that you've gone to for evidence, especially if you're not going straight to the journal and wanting to read an academic paper. Can you speak a little bit to those? Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of great resources online. Um, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of great um, people that have put a lot of effort and time into, you know, dedicating a, a weekly summary uh for for example um um shireen Kassam, dr shireen Kassam does a wonderful and i always read it so one thing of, of all the things out there that i'll read every week um is uh, uh she does a, a weekly um sharing of all the new studies in the field of of plant-based nutrition so you kind of get to see what's come up every week and kind of what the latest is and especially you know uh, as, as kind of things evolve, um, you know, we, ha- we don't have a lot of studies out there talking about children. And, and that's something that's starting to, to grow now. We're getting a lot more studies that are coming out. So being, being on top of things is really hard. Um, so having a couple people that are experts in the field, you know, that can sift through and, and bring it to your attention, highlight a lot of key things, including talking about strengths and limitations of studies is just, just so helpful. It's, it's really a, a great service that they're doing for us. There's other like fantastic groups out there. There's the the PCRM, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. They have a website and they've got some great resources there too. So we can we can post a couple links at, at the bottom, I guess, of the podcast are included so that if people are looking for resources, they can go there. But yeah, there's some great experts in the field that are providing some wonderful resources for us to to keep us up to speed can definitely help because there's a lot of information to review. Overload constantly. (laughs) Exactly. So it's so helpful that these individuals and group provide these summaries. So you've looked at plant-based evidence and nutrition and lifestyle from so many different lenses, from that of a researcher and academic, and even through the lens of university students through getting those perspectives from the survey. Has there been anything that really stood out to you or really surprised you from those experiences? I think a a really positive, I guess, surprise is how we've got such a a passionate and kind group of people that really are interested in, in seeing improved health of 
people and uh, kind of for the for the planet, right? There's there's a, a growing group of people who really are interested in showing compassion to to all the people are, around us. It's it's not like an individual viewpoint. It's kind of this community view, which is just it's just so comforting to be part of of such a wonderful group of of people. That's great to hear. And it's always so nice, like getting to meet other individuals in the community and getting to learn from others, or at least I find that that myself. And you have also taught me some things about eco-consciousness and different practices that we can do. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your personal values, if you feel comfortable with that, and some of those habits or tips that you've come across over the years. Oh, sure. This is a a fun one. It's just, it's completely personal. It's just something that, you know, I, I just kind of took a, take a step back and you think that, you know, you're thinking about that, the health of, of you and your family and, and, uh, you know, the world that we live in and we're going with plant-based eating, but a natural extension of this is just being echo conscious of how you live your life and the stuff that you have, or maybe more importantly, don't have, um, because you don't really need that much to, to, to live, uh, I, I guess, a, a good balanced life. Um, it's something that honestly took a couple years to make the full transition, uh, but it's come with so much more richness to our life. So I guess I'll, I'll try to boil it down to maybe a few areas of change that happened just kind of within our household and within kind of our lifestyle. Um, and it's just, you know, being aware of, of what you have and the stuff that comes in and out of your house. Um, so like, you know, when you talk about plastic containers, like everything comes in a plastic container, but find there are a lot of ways you can find to swap out the use of packaged things. So for example, we use bar soaps and shampoos. I mean, I remember as a young kid, all we ever had was a bar of soap. And then all of a sudden we got really fancy and everything is like a pump bottle of soap. So, you know, just going back to to just using bars of soap and even bars of shampoo work work well too. You do have to experiment a bit, see it works with your with your head. Um, but there's there's a huge um, growth in, in that market now. So they're not hard to find. And uh, you know, with your laundry detergent, your dish soap, things like that, like you can go with strips and where liquid is needed, there's an increase in the number of shops where you can bring in and refill your own containers with eco-friendly soaps that are derived directly from a local producer. So, you know, you don't have to have that waste that's happening. And you've kind of seen this shift where, you know, when we were younger, it was, you know, what was it reduce, reuse, recycle. And mm-hmm. now it's kind of like completely changed to be like, like, don't use things if you don't have to, and then reuse it. And then kind of the last thing is, is recycle it because it's still producing something that needs to kind of go back into a plant of some sort to, to hopefully get recycled. You know, one of the big thing was really trying to help reduce the use of um, plastics and, and containers um, that were coming in and out of the house. And the, the second and, and maybe one of my more frustrating topics is, is produce, is our food, coming back to our food since so much of our produce, produce is sold in plastic wrap or we use plastic to, to put it in to bring it home. So, you know, we use our own reusable bags, but one of the bigger changes that, you know, we made as a family is, is joining a, a CSA program. Um, so that's a, a community supported agriculture program. So we basically get our produce directly from a farmer for six months of the year. And it's fantastic because we get to meet with her every week and get our our big bin of the freshest variety of produce picked straight from her field that week. So we get to chat with her about, you know, how was her week and 
the size of the bugs that she got to <laughs> navigate through as she was picking it. But everything is just so fresh and 100% free of plastic wrap or any containers. And the taste is just, uh, it's just amazing how how good food can taste when it's, it's literally just been picked out of a garden. And you know, it's fresh when you bring it home and a grasshopper literally jumps <laughs> out of the lettuce bunch um, in your kitchen. So um, it's, it's definitely elevated. Uh, and, and, you know, you learn to, to do a lot of the things that I think people used to do. We freeze some stuff, we jar some stuff and you get to enjoy that fresh stuff even throughout um, the winter. And then just, you know, the, the third kind of area that we've, we've really reflected on is just material things, which you, you actually don't need that much. We don't have to kind of jump into this fashion trend of having to buy new things every season because we just feel like we have to. I mean, just um, kind of living with what you have and only buying things very minimally or you getting them secondhand if you, if you need anything. You save a ton of money, but also a ton of time. Uh, the time and effort that goes into to all that. And instead of spending that time doing that, spending time outdoors, enjoying nature, um, getting together with family and friends, you find such a much richer side of life. So, I mean, I, I could talk about this indefinitely, but I guess in a nutshell, we we really minimized the way we live our life, but it, it became so much more full, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like not only are you really enjoying the things that you are experiencing, but it sounds like you're building community, not only with getting to know the people who are providing food, but also spending more time with family and friends when possible. So thinking back, it sounded like you've done a lot of reflecting. Now reflecting on moving forward into the future, is there anything that you see happening or would ideally like to see happen when it comes to things that are um, related to a plant-based lifestyle? either for yourself or in general or in the research world, the university or student community, the general public, or in terms of education? Thanks. Yeah, that's a, that's a massive question. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're really pivoting, I think, with this trial. And it's kind of made me look at things a little bit differently because, you know, we've I've really tried to understand and explore a little bit more what, it, what knowledge translation means and how we go about it. Um, and I, I think it is definitely important. And I hope that we, we see this happen more as we move forward is developing that community and, and learning from, from each other and from our healthcare circle. So the more we can help to create that really nice patient physician relationship and, and create a bit more of a, a friendly, compassionate environment amongst our community, I think. Uh, we we will start to see you know it's it's a big change that we're already seeing. There's a great increase in 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 people changing their diet and adopting things a bit more plant based. So I think if we can just continue to to encourage people to do this and see the benefit in it, hopefully it'll be a sustained behavior change um, and and hopefully not uh, a fad diet that we see in you know five ten years switch to to something else as the pendulum swings. But um, I hope that we see it as a way of life that is better for for us individually as a community and kind of as globally I feel like you summed that up very nicely my last question was going to be related to your final thoughts or take-home message is there something that you we haven't covered that you would like to share or do you feel like the main message is out there right now so far in this episode 
Oh, there's so much more we could talk <laughs> about, but I think, uh, you know, we, we can kind of sum it up. I mean, the, the only thing that kind of jumps into mind is how a lot of this is really also interconnected with, you know, a, a lot of the other major topics that we talk about right now are, you know, inclusivity and just being more compassionate and aware of the differences between people around us and, you know, how we all kind of share the same space and to respect each mm-hmm. other. So just, you know, kind of overlaying that onto a lot of what we've talked about, because, you know, we're talking about our health and there's an overwhelming amount of evidence to support eating, you know, a more plant-based diet. And it doesn't mean having to go completely vegan. It, it, it can be um, small steps that, you know, can fit within your, your cultural values and, and your beliefs and, you know, small steps can make a big, a big difference uh, to your health and, uh, and, and to the environment. And, and you can always build from there as, as you kind of grow uh, kind of along your journey through life. And there's a lot in the field that we're doing a lot to, to really support both the healthcare professionals and their patients and, and um, the overall population to adopt um, healthier life diet and lifestyles. They are the cornerstone of, of most of our clinical practice guidelines. And, and yet I feel like they probably aren't the most supported. So helping to support these these pivotal changes that you can make to improve the quality of your life while reducing the burden on the, the healthcare system and showing compassion for the world, I think is is a, a good space to be in. And we'll 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 keep trudging forward through it and doing our best to provide these these uh services to the population. And it sounds like that one plant-based diet doesn't necessarily look like the other. You alluded to this previously in in regards to cultural values or diversity in terms of the practices that we choose to incorporate and that there's, it sounds like there's many different ways that this could be brought into somebody's life. And it sounds like that also based on your research and what you've shared is, how do you feel about that? Or does that align with what you're saying? Yeah, totally. It's a, it's not a one size fits all. We are, we are diverse. (laughs) <laughs> we are all very diverse and we need to embrace that uniqueness about all of us and all of our values and preferences. We're not all going to eat the exact same meal every day. So um, uh, diversity is is a good thing and we should em- embrace it and see how each of us can kind of fit in this this big puzzle of, of living kind of a, a nice, healthy life together. Dr. Kirvioli, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and for joining us on the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Thank you so much, Stephanie. This has been wonderful. This episode was hosted by myself, Stephanie Nishi, and Clint Stamatovich is our audio engineer. This podcast featured royalty-free music from freesound.com. A very special thanks to our guest, Dr. Laura Chiavroli, for speaking with us and sharing her insights. And of course, thank you for listening. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada which aims to educate health professionals and the public on the evidence behind plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website at www.plantbasedcanada.org and stay up to date by following us on Instagram and Facebook at plantbasedcanada.org. Until next time.